Hello and welcome to HipCast, the podcast here to improve hip fracture care. From the Australian and New Zealand Hip Fracture Registry, I am Research Assistant Neve Ramsey. And to begin the first episode of 2022, on behalf of the ANZHFR, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and work at the ANZHFR, and share this acknowledgement to traditional custodians across Australia, New Zealand, and wherever you may be tuning in from. Joining me on the podcast today is Dr. Sandra Iliano, a Senior Research Fellow in Endocrinology from the University of Melbourne. Today, we will be discussing her research group's study, the effect of dietary sources of calcium and protein on hip fractures and falls in older adults in residential care, cluster randomized control trial published in the British Medical Journal or BMJ. You can find a link to this publication in your episode notes. Welcome, Dr. Iliano. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Neve. So to start, could you please tell our audience a bit more about your professional background and your current research group? Yeah, I actually started um, with an exercise physiology background um, and then did a master's in human nutrition and put them both together for my PhD. So I'm a real advocate for a healthy lifestyle, so um, diet and exercise, um, so that it was actually a combined project in children, in fact, opposite to what I'm dealing with now. Wow, so you're an expert across a range of ages. What was the motivation behind your study and can you briefly outline the study design for our listeners? Yeah, look, I've done a bit of work in residential aged care in Australia and what we observed is that the dietary intake of the high-protein foods, so the dairy food group and the meat food group. So meat food group is um, poultry, seafood, eggs, legumes, as well as red meat. And we noticed that they're only getting about one serving of dairy and meat per day. Um, And fracture rates we know are really high, falls rates are really high. And it was like, if we actually just improve the food. So these people are on so many medications that adding more medications isn't going to do it. Um, Also, we know that using um, supplements doesn't work long term. So we then thought, well, if you just actually provide the food, Um, So the dairy food, so we just used milk, cheese and yogurt to these residents. We'd increase their calcium intake, increase their protein intake with the goal of reducing um, fractures. So that was the primary outcome. The key thing that we were after is a public health approach. So we've shifted the risk of fractures in the entire aged care population down rather than targeting a person at high risk and focusing on that person alone. So Majority of fractures occur in, you know, the bell-shaped curve in the middle. So we've shifted that major group in the middle slightly to the left or to a lower risk level. So that was the motive for the project. Um, the project, as you know, is pretty big. It was 60 residential aged care facilities, and they were both metropolitan and regional. We had small facilities, which is 50 beds. We had medium, which is 50 to 100 beds and large, 100 plus beds. We had all the organisations involved in terms of not-for-profit, commercial, individually owned, etc. So there was a good good range. And the purpose of that was to get um, different processes because we did the intervention through the food service. So we worked with the chefs and cooks so that they could increase the dairy content. So it needed to be um, practical and it needed to work in with whatever processes they have in their particular facility. So that was 
um, how we actually did it. So 30 of the facilities were randomised to a high dairy menu and the other 30 went about their usual menu. So what we did uh, is that we randomised, like we cluster randomised so the whole facility gets the dairy and also we stratified so different organisations so that we captured the different processes and also different locations so that we captured the, um, the, the potential socioeconomic differences. So we tried to eliminate those potential problems by saying these were done in all high socioeconomic areas versus low. So it was pretty much spread across all socioeconomic levels, all size of facilities, all different providers. So the goal is to make it very practical to implement in the long run. Fantastic. So which patients were recruited for this study and why did you select patients from residential aged care facilities? There was a couple of reasons we used residential aged care facilities. As I mentioned previously, one, high falls rates, two, high fracture rates, and also it's a it was a public health approach and this is a captive audience. So we know we can measure falls and fractures accurately in this group because falls um, are a mandatory reporting. So if we had have done this in the community, you can imagine we would have had people all over Victoria, which that's really hard to control people all over Victoria. So high-risk group, deficient in um, calcium and dairy and in a concentrated area where we could monitor their intake easily and also monitor their falls and fractures accurately. Right, okay. And which patients did you exclude from the study then? The only patients that were excluded in this particular trial was anyone who was on respite care. So um, usually respite care may last up to two weeks. They weren't included. And people that were bed-bound, but otherwise all residents were included because being a public health approach, we need to ensure that we've reduced the risk across the entire aged care population. And I was just wondering, um, were any of the patients on bisphosphonates or any other anti-osteoporosis medications? Yeah, sorry, we do. So about 20%, under 20% were on some type of osteoporosis-related medication. Most were on bisphosphonates. So it was about 20%, just say 20%, that's an easier number, Um, and about 40% of them had a fracture history. So we're already, already seeing this gap between people with a fracture, so obviously high risk, and how many are on um, some kind of osteoporosis medication. Why were high calcium foods selected for intervention rather than calcium supplementation? Look, we used high calcium foods, so we just used milk, cheese, yogurt um, as our intervention. So there's a couple of reasons for that one. One is that when you look at the data on just calcium supplementation on its own, um, there is no demonstrated efficacy of fracture reduction. The other is that there's no efficacy prior in aged care, so we don't know that. Um, The foods are something that they know and understand, so you need to keep in mind that half these residents will have some form of cognitive impairment, so it's difficult for them to understand if you gave them a supplement that what it actually is, whereas food they do recognise. So Again, it was that public health approach. So food first approach is, is for me, ideal. And then when people have particular needs, that's when you move to the supplement. But overall, a food first approach, 
if anyone's worked with people in aged care, look, on average, they're having over 10 medications. And the thought of just giving them extra medication um, is not perhaps as appealing as for them to just improve the food quality um, because we know food is really important to them both as a, as a um, from a health point of view, but also just the whole aspect of the social part and the psychological enjoyment and all those things are related to food. So in a sense, they're having um, doing an activity that they normally do, which is eating. They're enjoying it and in the process, they're getting a benefit. Great, two birds with one stone. So what were the major findings of this study? Yeah, so the key findings was we observed a 33% reduction in um, all fractures relative to the controls. And for hip fractures in particular, there was a 46% um, reduction in risk relative to the controls. We also observed an 11% reduction in falls. Now, with the falls, two-thirds of residents in the control group, just under two-thirds, fell. So the falls are a major contributor to the fractures because all but one of the fractures resulted from a fall. So if I go back to the calcium supplement, um, the calcium only addresses the skeletal aspects, but we wanted to also address the muscular aspects because if all but one of our fractures came from a fall, then if we stop them falling, we stop them fracturing. So it was a bit of a combined thing um, rather than just looking at one system, the bones, and ignoring the other system, the muscles. We also observed no difference in mortality. So in a sense, they lived the same lifespan but had a lower risk of falling and fracturing. Wow, what a great result. How do you feel for patients in the hospital with hip fractures? The results of this study can impact their care. Yeah, look, I think it just demonstrates the importance of um, adequate protein, um, particularly in hospital, because we know when patients go to hospital, especially with a hip fracture, they're fairly immobile for a good period of time. Luckily, now we get them up moving really quickly, which is fantastic. So we're minimising the, the loss of muscle because I think at the age, like for my residents, they're over 80 years of age on average. So the average was 86. If they lose muscle and they don't have the capacity to rehabilitate um, their muscles again, that muscle is not going to come back. So I think it's important to ensure that they're getting adequate protein during the hospital admission, during the rehabilitation, and also during the, um, the post-discharge period. And as I said, for us, it, you know, we know that supplements in terms of protein supplements um, can work, but it's ensuring the food is enjoyable to eat and high protein and that they are actually um, getting a benefit from food that's enjoyable, but also we're hoping to minimise muscle loss during hospital admission. Thank you, great recommendation. And are there any aspects of the trial that you would change if doing it again? Um, one aspect was unintentionally we didn't have any government organisations in there, so no government-run facilities, and that was not through intent. That was just um, there were probably none in the catchment area that we were looking. Um, it would be ideal to get um, more of the demographic data in terms of um, medication and uh, medical conditions of all the residents, but you can imagine 7,000 residents, that's a lot. Currently there's no central 
repository for that type of information. So we would literally have to leaf through everyone's medical records. But I think that data would be valuable. Um, and the only part that was is difficult in this group is um, cause of death. And as much as it would be good to know what the cause of death was, uh, it, it's often in the, in the really old, it's difficult to actually determine what was the cause of death. So if someone passes away, you know, it was it pneumonia, was it their hip fracture? Was it pneumonia? Like what do they label it as? Was it the hip fracture that they passed away of or was it the pneumonia as a consequence of the hip fracture? So that's a difficult one, but it would be good to actually understand the, the direct causes of death so that you can see if the deaths were due to, for example, a, a fracture per se or whether it was due to another reason. Um, and then those reasons, if it's, you know, something that is um, avoidable, then you could perhaps look at interventions there. But that would probably be the main, they're really just logistical things that I would change. I would love to do um, an exercise a four-way design of exercise and the intervention, which was the, the dairy food, because I think the exercise, and when I say exercise, it's activities, it's actually um, it's actually improving their activities of daily living. It's not them necessarily in a gym, um, but we know that they can respond. It's more if they actually want to do it, but the exercise will have a major factor in maintaining their mobility so an exercise dietary intervention would be fantastic but that's double the cost yeah so I guess that was my next question what aspects of the research do you think um, should be explored in the future I guess that's so would it be yeah yeah so definitely the exercise um an exercise dietary four-way design um would be fantastic but my goal is to roll out the education so that we can empower the food service staff to actually provide this food and cook the way they cook, but to ensure that they're incorporating those high high um, protein, high calcium foods in their menu. So I think education is the next kind of level um, that we can broaden the reach. So we've done it in 60 facilities, but really ideally every resident in Australia has the opportunity to eat good quality food and have a, a reduced risk of falls and fractures. I think that would be the ideal um, rollout of this type of program. And a very important goal. Thank you for your time today, Dr. Eliano, and for sharing your research with us. You're more than welcome, Neve, and, um, and all the best with the registry. I do know of the registry and I had done some um, preliminary um, recommendations when they put out their consulting paper way back. So, yes, I have a long history with the registry. So lovely. Thank you once again for your support and recommendations today. And for our listeners, a reminder that you can find a link to this publication in your episode notes.